Today on the podcast, we've got Greg Steer talking about the gospel and discipleship. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. And my name is David. We're so glad that you guys are with us on part two of our mm-hmm. special guest, Greg Steer from Dare to Share. Yep. Founder and CEO of Dare to Share. Greg, how do, how do the, our listeners, uh, I don't want to forget to ask you this, how do they find you online and, and learn more about Dare to Share? Yeah, I, um, on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, uh, I'm just at Greg Steer. So G-R-E-G-S-T-I-E-R, I before E. So Greg Steer. And I have a blog, gregsteer.org, that people can check out. And that's it. That's how they find me, Greg Steer. Awesome. And Dare to Share is the number two, right? The digit, not Yeah, not dare to share.org. Yeah, dare to share.org. Very cool. Lots of free tools, resources, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, you guys are amazing at providing and creating resources to help uh, people understand and share the gospel, and I appreciate it. You've affected both of our ministries, and uh, we're grateful. Uh, before we jump into this episode's topic, uh, I want to give you the opportunity just to tell us a little bit about your family, too, and where you're at, where you live, and, and give us a little insight into what your life is like. Yeah, I'm married uh, 27 years, going on 28 years, to my wonderful wife, Debbie, that I met at Colorado Christian University, and we have two kids, uh, Jeremy, who's 17, and Kaylee, who's 13. And now that I have two official teenagers, I may need to rewrite a few of my books <laughs> because it all looked good on paper. And then you have teens, and everything's up for grabs. So, that's what that's yeah, what I'm afraid of. <laughs> they're great kids. They love Jesus. But uh, what I, I used to have what I call a straight-like-a-bowling philosophy of, of sanctification that I'm just going to throw them down, straight down the lane, and I call it a pins. Now I have a pinball philosophy. <laughs> so I just... I just as long as they make it in, I'm just pinballing all the way to godliness. So it's uh, it's great. It's an adventure. And I live in the Denver area, Colorado. So born and raised here. Love it. I have over 300 days of sun. I love the mountains. We love to hike as a family. Uh, we do that quite often in the mountains. And uh, all big Denver Bronco fans. So it's I was raised right across from the old Mile High Stadium. And if you weren't a Bronco fan in our neighborhood you had a good chance of being physically uh, impaired in some way. By, it, was a very, it was a very dangerous neighborhood. That's, but, uh, yeah. that's some motivation anyway, to be a Broncos fan. That's exactly right. That's awesome. Well, we're thankful. If you didn't listen to the first podcast with Greg, where we um, talked about communicating the gospel to this generation, uh, you definitely want to check it out. There were some great nuggets in there, some great stories and some helpful tips. And today we want to focus a little more on discipleship. And in particular, we're going to ask Greg about the role of the gospel in discipleship or in making disciples. And before we do, Greg, I'd love to have you just define, how do you define discipleship? Well, I mean, you don't see the word discipleship in the New Testament. You see the discipling. I think discipleship sounds like a program and a curriculum, and discipling sounds like, uh, you know, mentoring and pouring into somebody's lives. Discipleship is not a curriculum. Uh, curriculum may be involved. Uh, discipleship is not a book. A book may be involved. But discipling is, you know, what, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. It's investing in a life or in lives uh, and really modeling uh, the the pathway of Christ and um, letting them do the same and do them do the same to begin to multiply out. So it is a relational 
intentional uh, focus. And evangelism, I would say, is uh, I think in our culture, uh, we look at evangelism as the 401 class, and I think that's a mistake. Uh, with Jesus, it was the 101 class. Uh, it was your introduction when you got baptized uh, in the New Testament and said, Jesus is Lord. That was your first evangelism experience. Um, so uh, we look at evangelism as an accelerator to the discipleship process and not the outcome. And I've had youth leaders that we've been trying to get out to a Dare to Share event or something. They're like, well, my kids aren't ready for Dare to Share. I said, well, why not? And they said, well, they need more discipling. I'm going to say they need more, more lessons. Yeah, more study school. Yeah, more Wednesday night youth group. Yeah, more theology. Yeah. Then I asked them the question, how does that work out for the adults in your church? And at that point, you can just drop the mic because, you know, you do that. It, it leads oftentimes to an institutional, instit, what do we call it? institutionalized versus gospelized. Mm. So when you look at the way Jesus discipled his disciples, it was a three-and-a-half-year missions trip separated by teachings along the way. Um, and we have, we've made it the outcome rather than the trigger, and I think it's a huge mistake in the Western discipleship strategy, and I think it has really thwarted the growth of the Church. Yeah, I love that point, and um, as a youth pastor for many years, I kind of uh, felt that tension, I think, for a long time, believed that until I started to look at discipleship as not just something that starts at conversion, but it's actually pre-conversion. And understanding, and Greg, let me know if you agree with this, but the importance of allowing people people to participate in the mission of God, even if we're not sure where they're at on that uh, sanctification journey, or, or, or maybe they're not even fully a follower of Jesus, but allowing them to participate in that. And I think it's powerful because that's what we were made to do, right? So they're aligning themselves in the way that God made them to do, even if they don't realize it. So have you found that to be true yourself? You know, I haven't thought, I haven't thought about it like that, but as you were talking about it, we've seen kids um, at, at Dare to Share events, we do a full week called Lead the Cause, they're out like, sharing their faith, and actually, as they share the gospel, they believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my goodness! This is what I, it comes alive to them, and so you've seen it happen uh, at almost every Dare to Share conference. Kids come to Christ while they're in the process of discipleship, you know, challenge. And uh, yeah, we believe the gospel is powerful. I mean, pre-post, you know, during just get it, you know, you know, get them on mission with God, and God's Spirit takes care of the rest. I think you really tapped into one of the um, maybe counterfeit counterfeits to discipling or making disciples, which is an over-reliance on programs in information transfer, um, as opposed to life on life, just sort of living out this this faith uh, that we have. Uh, I think another one of the things that I really dealt with as a youth pastor was shifting from this mentality of discipling or being a disciple being about specific metrics and out, outer behavior. Not that not that the way we behave doesn't matter, uh, and not that there isn't fruit in our lives, but understanding that ultimately discipleship is not just about checking a list of things that we do and a set of rules that we follow. And, you know, Paul in, in Galatians 3 is, is talking about talking to this young church and saying, you know, are you so foolish? What after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And I find this a lot in discipleship, and I wanted you to speak to this, the idea of 
that the mentality that the gospel gets us in, but now we grow up somehow through our own determination and effort. And sort of the gospel is for an evangelistic presentation, but the real Christians, the real disciples, move on to the meatier, more mysterious things of the scriptures. And I guess you can probably tell by the tone of my voice how I feel about that. But um, what have you learned as far as the centrality of the gospel, keeping the gospel in the center, not just of uh, the decision to follow and serve Christ initially, but the ongoing sanctification process? Well, you just pretty much described my life growing up. I was I was reached by a preacher who preached the gospel super clearly to the lost, and then I put my, you know, we all put our faith in Christ as a family, and we walked in, and there's like this scroll now of the do's and don'ts, and got involved with the Christian school there and began the list. Man, I was memorized entire books of the Bible. I shared Christ with at least 5,000 kids before I graduated from high school, personally, one-on-one, one-on-two discussions. I mean, I did the thing, man. I was a preacher. I mean, I was preaching in church when I was 12. I I did everything they told me to do, and I remember being so frustrated because I was like, I cannot conquer lust, you know, and then I'm struggling with this, and I got all these externals, and and then Colossians 2 came to life. The do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Hmm. You know, they have no value in restraining the indulgences of the flesh. And, and Galatians 2.20 came to life. You know, the life I now live, I put my faith in the Son of God. You know, it's, it's Him in me and through me. Uh, and it's not, it's that same gospel that saved me, sanctified me. And once we got that, I actually planted a church with my best friend who was raised in the same setting and had the same deliverance from the legalistic gospel to the Christian. Um, we called the church Grace Church. And internally, our conversation was not just for the unbeliever, but for the believer. Uh, to, we want everybody to continue to experience the gospel of grace and the freedom that comes to Christ. And it's a freedom to serve, not a license to sin. And all those disciplines flow out of that love relationship, not a have-to, but a get-to. And so I think it's really important, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's important to help students um, understand what that looks like. And um, we use a chocolate, uh, we use a milk analogy with chocolate syrup at the bottom. The Spirit of God is in you if you're a believer, but you have to stir them up. You have to get filled with the Spirit. And, you know, that, that, that coloration starts to color every aspect of the milk, and, and the coloration of the Spirit colors every aspect of our life. And to teach kids to continually stir themselves up in the Spirit of God, allow the Spirit of God, and out of that will flow these disciplines and and all these other things. So we use all sorts of analogies to help students understand that. Um, But sometimes it takes a crisis in their lives. Uh, I was just talking to a teenager recently uh, that was going through a breakup and uh, devastated. And I, you know, use this as an opportunity to talk about, man, this may be a great opportunity to talk, you know, fully rely on Christ and to really double down on that relationship and dependence on him, you know. Um, that's how it happened with me when I was a teenager. It was a it was a, a devastating breakup that, you know, just kind of brought the facade down and I said, I have to learn how to live differently because this, this legalism is killing me. Yeah. I'm praying for my three daughters that it's a, it's a lifetime of not having any boyfriends that brings them to Jesus. A, a lifetime of, exactly right. of no no relationships. Um, I love that, Greg. And one of the ways that we like to define discipleship on this podcast is not original to us, but I'm not 
100% sure where I heard it first, is this idea that discipleship, of course, is a process, uh, but it's the process of moving from unbelief in the gospel to belief in the gospel in every area of our lives. And as opposed to discipleship being like a checklist or things that we stop doing, things that we start doing, it's what are the areas of our lives, and maybe even more true, the areas of our hearts that we are gospel forgetful, that we're forgetting the gospel. And the gospel says so many things to us. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I was sharing in a message recently is I was having a, I'm an assistant coach for my 10 year old soccer team. And um, I actually really love soccer. And so I'm kind of passionate about it. And on this given Saturday, the head coach was gone. And so I was the head coach. It was my debut and I was pretty excited about it. And I had a referee out there that wasn't exactly doing his job. And so, you know, I felt like it was my job to let him know he wasn't doing his job. Now, keep in mind, he's a 15-year-old boy who <laughs> doesn't really care about what he's doing, and, and no one really cares about the game except for me, apparently. Uh, but in that moment, I couldn't stop myself from, like, because I felt I had this sense of, like, I'm right, you're wrong, and you need to know that I'm right and that you're wrong. And um, at one point in the game, it, it wasn't escalated. I don't want to make people think it was ugly, but it was... It was well, a, you, you threw blows. Just, just <laughs> admit it right now. Well, it was embarrassing because my 10-year-old daughter at one point while she's out there says, Daddy, stop fighting with the referee. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not fighting. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain. But when I was thinking about it later, and I actually talked to her about this in the car because one of the things as a parent is I want to make sure that if I publicly sin in front of my kids, I publicly repent. Um, and that I don't just repent that Daddy, Daddy said something he shouldn't have said. Or, but I wanted to help her understand that what was happening in that moment in my heart was like I was forgetting how right... I am in God's eyes because of Jesus. And here I am trying to establish my rightness or my righteousness on a soccer field with a 15-year-old referee. And it's so stupid because why should that rightness matter to me when I'm right before the judge of the universe? Uh, because of And so yeah. there's this, this gospel forgetfulness. And this is one of the things we I've been trying to help uh, not just teenagers but adults realize that when there's a sin in our lives, sinful behavior, there's always a root. Uh, there's always some sort of a heart issue, a worship issue. And, um, you know, how have you seen this in your own life and in your ministry as far as helping people get beyond just the mistakes we make so we don't just keep beating ourselves up and saying sorry, but we actually get to the root of the issue? Yeah. Yeah, I love what D.L. Moody said. We must constantly stand at the fountain of Christ because we are leaky vessels. And, um, you know, I just think it's, a, you know, Paul struggled with it. Romans 7, the good I want to do, I don't do the evil that I hate to keep on doing. He will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And I think it's an ongoing battle for every believer. And I think, you know, just those pause moments of reconnecting with God in our devotional time, being filled with His Holy Spirit, stopping throughout the day, a little prayer walk, just getting filled with the Spirit, you know, reminding ourselves of the Gospel. I, I think communion is a vastly underestimated and underused ordinance. Uh, communion is a visual, visceral reminder of the broken body and shed blood of Christ, of who we now are in Christ, that we need to continue continue to ingest the gospel, not just when we fir our first you know salvation experience, but we need it all the time. Mm. And uh, the early church looked like in Acts 2, they did it every day, but I got to 1 Corinthians 11, it was at least once a week, and I don't think it would be a bad thing to have communion every week in youth group. Um, I think communion is underestimated as an ordinance, 
but it is a very picturesque way to help Christians understand that they continue to need the gospel. And, um, you know, I say that's, that's a, a simple way to do it, and it's you know, the way Jesus gave us to do it, and just turn it into a ritual that we haven't really thought through, explained. And, and if we created five to seven minutes every week for kids to, you know, do that business before the table, man, what, what would that change in our in our youth ministry strategies and, and our, you know, get those areas. That's the, that's the time we say, bow your head and close your eyes and search your heart. You know, that's the Holy Spirit doing his job and those areas of silence and reflection. And we just did a, at Lead the Cause in Austin uh, two nights ago. We did a, a, a preacher sermon called Simon Says, and I started with a game of Simon Says and talked about Philip and Simon and Simon the Sorcerer and Philip you know, doing all these miracles, but Simon the Sorcerer was a big dog, and and in many ways, there's a Simon in our heart that wants to amplify their own glory, and there's a Philip in our heart that wants to amplify God's glory. Our theme was amplified, so it kind of tied in, but you know, it's time at the community, we had a community, and it's like, you know, what, what is that Simon in your heart? What are those areas that just wants to, you know, confess those? Leave those at the foot of the cross. And see those as already crucified with Christ, the community is just a reminder that the, the deed is done. It is finished. But we, you know, somebody once said, you know, I preach the gospel to myself every day because I forget it every day. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And, uh, yeah, we we never, but, you know, we never get over the gospel. The gospel is at the deep end of the pool, and I, I talk to guys like, well, I've moved on. I'm like, really? Because the Apostle Paul never moved on from the gospel. <laughs> um, so you're beyond that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, well, well, that, I said so that, that sarcastically, and then I got to get right with God again because it's totally not much. But anyway, no sarcasm is the love language of the Northeast. So here in New York, we love oh, that yeah. man. Yeah, we appreciate. That's how I hug. Yep. Perfect. Hey, lead, what you just said and what you just referenced leads me kind of into my next question, which is: What are some of the big areas you see pastors or churches or ministries missing it when it comes to discipleship? Well, I, again, I think one of the biggest areas is we've made evangelism the 401 discipleship class, not the 101. I think, and, and by the, let's be honest, if we do a 101 to 401, by the time you get to 401, we all know it's a third or a quarter of the original group that you started with. And so just strategically, it, it doesn't infect the whole church. And um evangelism, you know, I think it was Tim Keller sent out a tweet. It was Tim Keller. He sent out a tweet. He goes, teens have tons of information about God. They need to be put in a position where they're forced to rely on Him. Hmm. And I really think evangelism, you know, if you give an average teenager a choice to go on a mission trip to the Amazon and build mud huts for the poor while fighting off pythons, or going to the school cafeteria where they go to school, and sitting at a table with a group of friends and sharing Jesus with them, the average Christian teen would choose the pythons, because they'd rather risk getting choked by a literal python than getting choked out of their social circle. Yeah. Uh, but the call of discipleship is to pick up the cross, die to yourself, and follow me. That first death is not a physical death, it's a social death. And evangelism risks that social death, and that risk accelerates the discipling process faster than any curriculum you can put them through. So not to be simplistic, but I think we need to get kids praying for the lost and sharing Christ with the lost as quickly as humanly possible. 
because they're forced to depend on the spirit when they go out. We just, you know, taking kids out right now in Austin, teenagers are out sharing the gospel in 100 degree weather, 100% humidity, and they are depending on the spirit of God because they're scared to death. That dependence, that connection with the vine, will produce the growth. Yeah. And do you, do you the think, evangelism really forces you to depend on the vine. Do you think, Greg, there's something to it as well? You mentioned the the 401, right, not waiting till the end of the process to teach people at evangelism. Do you think part of the problem, too, is um, we don't introduce mission as a central part of Christianity and as a central part of the gospel? So it's kind of like we tuck mission in at the end, for the really well-qualified ones, and you mentioned uh, teenagers disengaging. Do you think that's a that's a part of it or, or connected to it as well? Totally, 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 totally. It's, you know, when I got saved, I never knew my biological father, and I didn't know why I was here on Earth. All of a sudden, I have a heavenly dad, and I got an earthly mission. And it's because the preacher that led my family to Christ made it really clear you know, you have heaven and dad, you have an earthly mission, and that is to make and multiply disciples. And that really, security and significance in a tribe, is really what a teenagers need. And then we teach them theology and, and all that stuff along the way as they go, just like Jesus did with his disciples. They were so, you know, Twitter-pated because all the demons come out, with, you know, use your names, like, that's great, because... Um, Quitopated is uh, original Greek word, by the way. Um, but it, uh, he's like, yeah, guess what? I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, he teaches them. He's like, put a, put a, put a higher value on the stake and not the sizzle, guys. You know, he's teaching them along the way. And they're learning that theology is getting impacted into the heart because they're on mission. As opposed to theology, theology, truth, 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 and then must introduce mission at the end. It's like, let's missionize them now and teach them along the way. You go deep as you go wide. I think that goes back to a point that you made. I don't know if it was on this episode or, or your previous episode. Where you, I think it was the last episode when we were talking about um, communicating the gospel to the next generation and the meta-narrative of Scripture and, and laying out the story. Because when you, when you don't uh, lay it out as a story, it just becomes sort of information or inspiration, right? Here, here's some information for you to consider, make a decision based on what I just said. Here's an inspiration uh, to, to live differently. But with this story, we have this invitation, and it's this invitation to live into this story and, and join the, the better story, a truer story than the story that we're trying to tell with our lives. And this idea of not just... Um, not just you've been sort of given this um, pass, this get out of hell free card, which of course is wonderful, but you've also been invited into living a life here and now that means something, that matters, that makes a difference. You get to join up with the mission of God. And sometimes that's missing even from our discipleship approach. Yeah, and I think it's a both and. So I just wrote a blog called Evangelizing Now and Then. And uh, when you get when you get the now motivation of the, the mission God calls us to be in, um, and the then that there is a heaven and there is a hell, mm-hmm. and um, you know you kind of have a now and a then motivation, um, you give them the full body kind of thing. Because I don't, I think sometimes we underestimate the reality of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I was preaching about once. I had a teenager come up to me and say, "Why has my youth pastor never told me about this?" <laughs> They go, I didn't realize my friends would die without Christ because spend eternity separated from God to hell. That freaks me out. And I was like, wow, okay. 
this is not the generation that has had hellfire and brimstone crammed down their throats. This is a generation that has barely heard about it. And so I think it's both and. I think we don't want to we don't want to dumb down the teachings of Jesus on on what is at stake for those who die without Christ. So the way we find that balance at Dare to Share, we talk about saving people from the hell they're headed to and the hell they're going through. Um, so we need both, you know, those now and then motivation. Yeah, that's, I love that. The hell that they're going to, the hell they're going through. Um, that's so helpful, man. That's a great way to look at that, talk about that, think about it, and keep it in front of us as we are um, not just presenting the gospel to those who don't know Jesus, but reminding everyone that already is following Jesus. Here's the, the gospel reminders that, that lead us to gospel response. So, man, we, we appreciate that. Thanks so much, Greg, for taking this time. Well, see, one, one, what I would say is one of those motivations brings compassion, and the other brings passion. Hmm. And you need both. You need compassion. You looked on the crowds compassion for them, hurt for them because of their current state. And then passion, you know, snatch others from the flame and save them. Q23. You need both to drive these kids forward. So That's awesome. Greg, we're so thankful to have you on and we want to get to the most important questions, what people really care about with you being a guest, which is uh, our portion called David's Eats. And um, here's a question for you. This is a classic. What toppings do you like on your hot dog? Hmm. Uh, relish, ketchup. We got a relish guy in our hands. Wow. Yeah. This is rare. Yeah. I like relish, ketchup. <laughs> I'm a big mustard guy for hot dogs for whatever reason. I don't mind mustard outside of that, but this is this is unique. Usually the relish is the one condiment you buy, but nobody uses. And usually the relish no, and usually I the use relish it. and it's mustard sweet, people are the same. And sweet relish, you know. My wife has that dill relish, and I'm like, what is the point of that? (laughs) We've had, I think, literal fights in our house over that very issue, but that's that's a whole other podcast. Do you you not like dill pickles, or you just don't like dill relish? I just just don't like dill relish. I got to be careful, you know? So you got to the right things on the right time for the right reasons. (laughs) Well, next time you're having a hot dog, you can have the Greg Steer, which is, uh, you know. Sweet relish with ketchup. Sweet relish with ketchup. That's it. Yep. Um, Greg, yep. real quick again for people who are looking to find you, uh, it's just Greg Steer, right on all the social medias. Yeah, yep. Uh, Greg Steer, S T I E R, Greg G R E G S T I E R, and uh, on social media. And uh, I don't understand Snapchat, so you will not find me there. I am there. I have an account, <laughs> but my 17 year old still cannot teach me how to use it because it scares <laughs> and confuses me. But I'm at Instagram and Twitter, and then uh, GregSteer.org for the blog. And if they want to find some of your resources, your books, and uh, stuff you've done, is that the same site as the blog, or is there a different site for them to go to? No, they can go to daretoshare.org. we got a store there with everything, tools, resources, all sorts of stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much, Greg. This has been, uh, this has been joy, and hopefully it's been a benefit to you, uh, those who are listening. This is the Multiply Podcast, and we'll see you guys next time.